Hello, and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing an article from the spring 2021 edition of our magazine, Customer Insight. Um, and this time it's a case study about Mighty. Nothing better than a real case study, Stephen. Absolutely love it. Where you, And Mighty is a really good example where the theory, actions, real life come come together and you see a real improvement that's making a, a, a you know a difference it really is the sort of the moment hey this all works this all works um for those who, who, who sort of haven't read the article yet what what's the sort of the key message that comes out of it yeah well, i think for me um as is often the case with kind of b2b customer surveys in particular it's about getting the balance or not even the balance really, but the sort of the combination that you get by combining you know, really good customer research and survey work with really good account management. I said balance, which I think is the wrong word. It's about that combination, getting the best of both of those things working together. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 balance or, or, or the relationship is probably a really good thing because I think one thing the article does all the way through is it really is about everyone working together and everyone's role in even you know who's in charge of the research who delivers the messages who has ownership who's doing the communications and, and there's probably you know it, it just comes across like a real united team effort all behind we want our customers to be more satisfied and uh, mighty we're not starting from a great place either in terms of their net promoter <laughs> you know you know their their, their net promoter score just talk a, a, a little bit about perhaps I think what a lot of our B2B clients and organizations come across that catch 22 situation where, you know, do we have the insight centralized or do we get it out there with people and, and how might you have achieved um, that balance or partnership or teamwork? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, it's an interesting balance to, to get right that because it, Usually, the actual survey work is is in some way kind of centralised. You know, there'll, there'll be whether it's marketing or whether there's a specific kind of you know customer research function. The survey will be run, if you like, centrally, and then you know analysed, and the data will be sent out to you know account managers, contact teams, whoever it is, depending on the structure of of the business, and that can that could be quite alienating for those people um, because what they, they get back sometimes is, is this kind of high level, here are our scores. And it, it doesn't really relate to what I do every day in my dealings with my particular clients that I have relationships with. But then on the other hand, if you only work at that kind of individual contact level, you, you can miss the opportunity and do some great account management and you know, developing those accounts and making sure yeah. those relationships are healthy and all the good stuff that, that good account managers will do. But you miss the big picture. You, know, you, you don't have the opportunity to learn, you know, sort of strategically, where should we be positioned as a business? Where, where is our market going? Where do our customers want us to go? What are the kind of structural things we could address with perhaps you know, new processes or, you know, that, that kind of big picture change and improvement. And obviously you need a bit of both, in it, you know, to, to, to get the, the best possible chance of improving. Yeah. And I think in, in my experience, the, the, the organisations who do this really well, it's, it's actually in the pre-survey planning 
phase because it's this who has ownership well actually as you're as you're saying there's lots of different strands in there and there's some bits that it's really good to do centrally like pull together databases get out the mailing do the good pr about it up front but there's some bits that need doing really bespokely perhaps telling some individual clients is happening and certainly the action plans at, at, at the end and one of the things that comes across about mighty is they seem to have that very united front on it and there isn't you sense no conflict in fact you sense you know the the, the opposite i think there's a real quote in it about um you know the level of transparency we've got unhappy customers are looked at by the whole organization there's no hiding place and it's not someone's fault it's mighty's thing to improve so i think it's a really good example of getting the survey, doing the pre-survey work right, understanding who's doing what, understanding you know, why some of it is being centralised, and that's not an ownership thing, it's just the easiest and most efficient and consistent way of doing it, and then why some of it will be done locally, and that's not people taking power locally, it's just making sure the right people are empowered to get all the right things coming out, coming out of it. Absolutely right, yeah, and I think, yeah, the information has definitely got to get to the people you know, at the front line, the account managers, the contact people, the doers. But you do also need that. That um, I was going to say oversight, which is not quite the right, but it's a coordination, let's say, in yeah. the middle. You know, so, uh, and it's partly about support as well. And it, you know, that can sound a bit sort of touchy feely, but it isn't, I don't think. I mean, the, there is a, a necessary role to help people get the most out of the information that you're giving to them. And I think, you know, a lot of B2B companies, they sort of focus very much on on doing their basic business well and that you know that's important <laughs> it's important they do that but then they almost rely totally on account managers to do everything else you know everything other than produce a good product is in the hands of, of relationship managers and that's not really fair you know they end up having to do too much i think you know, more than their role really ought to be I, it, most businesses that i know relationship managers are run pretty ragged trying to chase everything else about that that relationship yeah. with the organization and perhaps tend to be the people who like to take personal interest ownership people people who like forming relationships so take a personal responsibility for it and actually think oh i'll just check up on that delivery oh you know if you've got a problem come to me and lots of other things all this is interesting i'm going to send you this Mm. and probably don't always use the support that a lot of centralized functions you 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 know can give them Mm -hmm. i suppose to make their job easier but but actually to to let them focus on the bits where they can really make you know you know a a difference that's a really good example i think that kind of you know the relationship manager you know chasing up the status of something so that they make sure it's going to get there on time and they shouldn't need to do that there should be systems that do that for them and for the client um, but it's exactly the sort of thing that often ends up happening yeah and even if it's even if you think well you know as the account manager i'd like to provide the updates i'm not even sure that's a good idea but the organization should be doing that and copying in the client manager so there's transparency if the account manager's role is to do that the organization should be providing the account manager with the information to to you know to do that you know with and you get into the whole um internal customer satisfaction um Mm. you know from that from that point of view i thought one of the other things that mighty were, were very good about was their level of frequency of the survey uh and i know it's a question we get asked 
pretty much at the end of every board presentation we do with with our first time clients you know how often should we do the survey what's a stock answer <laughs> well the, the stock answer is somewhere on a spectrum between you know the answer is once a year or it depends how often you or how quickly you think you can make change because i think you can take it as a take the starting point there's no point doing the survey until you think customers are going to have noticed just let me say that again i think that's a big thing there's no point doing it unless something's changed because a you're going to find out nothing's changed b you're probably going to annoy some people because you're just going to get your customers to say i did this before and nothing's changed and that probably has a bit of a negative Mm -hmm impact and and i'm sorry for interrupting there but one of the reasons i've just interrupted is i've got um, a client who loves feedback absolutely loves feedback and it's b2b but it's quite a small pond they're fishing in and they're saying oh wouldn't this information be great if we got this every month let's do this every month and i'm going well that would let us invoice you a fair bit but that's really going to upset your clients so we would really advise against that because we're just going to be contacting them again and again and again and you need, I can understand why you love this information and want it, but do something with it before you get more of it. Do something with it. The answer for me is definitely, yeah, you, you have to have taken some action and, and actually allowed a little bit of time for customers to notice that that, that change is, in, is sort of sticking before you do the survey. And that, and that very rarely means more than once a year, to be honest. And I do think that it's really important, again, to emphasise the difference between B2B and B2C. B2C, perfectly sensible to have a monthly relationship survey if you want that sort of temperature check of how do our customers in general feel about us. So if you're a big B2C organisation, you probably have a monthly relationship tracker and that's sensible. But B2B, because you're going back to the same customers again and again, it doesn't make any sense. And that is everything else uh, about the differences between B2B and B2C customer research really come back, I think, to that idea that the the individuals in B2B um, research matter in as themselves, whereas in B2C research, they're representative of a, of a wider population of people. And that's a, a really important distinction. Yeah, and, and I think we often debate, you know, who's more advanced in research, B2C or B2B, and you'd probably could say there's a lot more technology and it's a lot quicker in the sort of b2c and it's and it's dealing with larger surveys but and and there's definitely things b2b can learn from b2c but i think there's as, as much the other way i'm sure there's a much or you know the, the the other way in terms of the bespokeness of the action and actually how harsh you know how not how harsh how much are you being judged because if you are going back to the same person you genuinely have had to do something different genuinely and they've had to notice as you say on the other hand they do notice like and i think that's the, yeah, the beauty of it to be uh, and that's something point. i noticed in the mighty article actually is when you do something your score changes and i i think that's true b2c as well by the way but i think it's clearer and quicker b2b when you take action customers notice it and yeah, give quick you the tip for any for sort of researchers out there it's a good question to put on to a questionnaire have you noticed any change over the last 12 months in blah blah blah, blah whatever it is you've changed and if they say yes you mm-hmm. know you know probe as as to why they've done it i found it really useful to present back to boards um where you can start proving hey do you know what a third of our customer base had noticed change two-thirds haven't and do you know what those thirds who had noticed change are 
more satisfied, more this, you link it to some of the metrics that, you know, MPS, CSI, or some of the internal metrics. And it's quite a good way of getting ahead of steam up going, hey, do you know what? It's better if P customers have noticed our change. Those two thirds who haven't, we need to make sure they've noticed it. Account managers point it out to them, communicate centrally to them marketing. And, and it's a good it's a good little question for keeping action and traction going. Have you noticed change in the last 12 months on da, 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 whatever it is you've improved? It is. And, and the other thing I'd say is, it, it, especially in the comment for that, you often see things coming through in that slightly before they hit the score. Because let's say it's delivery for, for the sake of argument. Year one, I give you a seven for delivery because it's, it's okay, but it's not perfect. You don't always keep me informed. You sometimes let me down a bit. Year two, I might still give a seven, but my comment yeah. might be a bit more nuanced. It might be, yeah, well, they say they've got this new thing. And to be fair, I haven't yeah. had any problems. Keep it going. Keep it going. Yeah. I'm not quite ready <laughs> it's to a bit caveated. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so the comments, as always, with B2B, the comments uh, are at least as important as the scores. Um, and there is nuance in it in, in reading the feel of a survey. Um, and again, that's all true B2C as well, but, but it just the way you act on it is, I think, different. The other bit I like about it is the comments from that perspective let you see what the customer is noticing. You, you know, what's the criteria they're judging you against on deliveries? Is it the fact, oh, I haven't heard the warehouse staff make any negative comments recently? <laughs> you, you know, it lets you see the the things that they're using to gauge it, which is which probably isn't the KPI dashboard you're sending them, or what, or, you know, or you know, or whatever. One of the other things, just sort of starting to pull it together, that I thought that Mighty was good. They've definitely been on a journey in terms of, uh, you know, a low score, and they're very transparent about their scores. You know, you can see them, you can see them in the report. But it, it was a negative MPS, and it, now it's moved up to to a very high MPS. But they talk about the difference between going from having a lot of detractives to passives to promoters, and and the sort of the difference in the attitude between those those subgroups we'd probably say is as a general truth you know when when you one thing we quite often do is look at the comments from promoters comments from passives comments from detractors and kind of look at the kind of words they're using and you often see these you know detractors are talking about effectively you've let me down you made a mistake yeah. it went wrong passes are going okay. yeah it's fine <laughs> Yeah, I think passive is a okay. great term for, for that subgroup. To be honest, it is it, yeah. it, that the name nails it. Yeah. And the promoters tend to talk about you know partnership and relationships and something beyond just doing your job. Um, and you know, I think that that's that's something Tina mentioned in the article is true of their customers, and it's something we we just generally see the the way you get from a from a, an eight out of ten to a nine out of ten is doing a little bit more yeah, than your and, job. And again, I suppose research tip number. Um, two in this podcast it's a really good way of segmenting results just not by comments but just by you know the analysis and the scores and is a really good way of, of creating three subgroups three segments of of customer and just really analyzing how do we move what's the biggest difference between detractors and passives because you want to get rid of the detractors and then how do we move passives up to promoters and using a, a lot of the metrics that, that you've collected um, to do that and again, I also find that's a good way of getting sort of traction within the organization. If you can link that to some commercials within the organization and say, hey, you know what, from our 100 million pound B2B company at the moment, 40 million pounds are passives, 30 million pounds are detractors and 30 million pounds are promoters. If we could move 
10% from here to here to here. Wow, doesn't that put us in a strong position? I think where it really sort of has a commercial link for, for me in a lot of cases is a lot of B2B companies, especially in these kinds of market, are, <laughs> trying to word this slightly carefully, but like, tenders are a nightmare, aren't they? And I think any of us who have ever gone through a tendering process <laughs> would, would appreciate that. So what, what we all as suppliers really want is to avoid tenders if possible. And that's one of the real arguments of moving from passive to promoter. So if, you, if you can get a whole, you know, everyone in your client organization to be scoring you nine or 10 out of 10, on, then they're much more likely to go, do you know what would be, unless we're for some reason legally yeah, or yeah. Con, con, obliged to go through a tendering process. You know, if we can find a way to just go, this is our supplier of choice, we're going to work with them because they're brilliant, rather than, oh, they're good and they're good and they're good, let's, let's put them all in through a tendering process, then that's got to yeah, be good to, for to, everyone. To, to go off, off the tangent that's you know a little bit of my soapbox is, is when people say, you know, so what's the value of really getting up there, net promoter scores over 70, world-class indices over 90%, doesn't it cost more? And really, do you get any more returns? And so you start rattling off, you know, what do loyal customers do? Oh, well, they buy more, they recommend more, they complain less, which is all quite tangible. But I think phrases like, do you know what? They don't look at the competition. They trust you on pricing. They're less price sensitive they are big wow things and that doesn't happen at eight out of ten <laughs> yeah i mean this is probably a rant for another day but i am not convinced that tendering processes save anyone any money um hey, what you think run. Stephen? don't mention your words <laughs> i yeah i i think procurement <laughs> um it, yeah, yeah maybe it's a run for it commonalizes and productizes something that we would i guess think is probably more bespoke we'll save that for another day because that's got nothing to do with my tea i've done a great job of driving things um, up and hopefully you know they are reaping the rewards of having much more loyal customers so i think to probably pull it Mm. um, together great phrase and i think it sort of does full circle in terms of the teamwork you know once we have the data we act (laughs) you know we give the dashboards out we present the feedback to the account teams help them understand what the key issues are and then i think my favorite bit of of what tina said and then work with them to implement plans against those that demarcation that teamwork of some bits central can do well other bits local can do well i think you know they've managed to sort of find the right balance for that catch 22 that many organizations many organizations struggle with yeah and, and i think you know what's interesting is you know what's the secret sauce that lets that happen I think you you know you've got good account management teams clearly you've got not only the skills and the knowledge in, in in sort of centrally in doing the research well and getting the right information but also the kind of sensitivity to how a b2b business works so rather than just doing a great report and sending it out it's working with the account teams to understand the data and to, to support them which i think is really important and then all of that's backed by you know really senior level commitment to the whole program and i think it, those are the you need kind of all of those pieces yeah, for it to really work. probably don't say it explicitly i mean they talk a lot about the senior commitment which we know you know is a key cornerstone for the magic source but this seems to be a very clear vision and purpose to what the research is trying to achieve for mighty overall not what it's trying to achieve for a department but what it's trying to achieve for mighty overall 
Uh, we should try and get Tina on the podcast sometime. Yeah, we really should. She, she was, um, yeah, very, very nice to talk to. And I, I really enjoyed doing the interview, actually, which, which then sort of turned into the article. Brilliant. Thank you all uh, very much for listening. Um, if you'd like to read the article, which I'd recommend, then it's available for free on the TLF Research website. Um, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at TLFresearch.com. Cheers, everyone.